Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Don't, 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 don't you forget about me. Where do you start? Let me give you two scenarios. In the first, you wake up, whenever you wake up, but it's probably earlier than you might think it would be. You get up, you take a stroll, you visit with some children, some of the neighbors, you have breakfast. Then you and a few others get together and go out for a few hours, though it wouldn't even be that specific, you would just go until you're done. You get some food, the necessities for living, a few wonderful treats, maybe something for the children. You go back to your community and after a short nap, You practice an art or a craft for a little while until it's time for the family to gather for dinner. And you celebrate, singing, dancing, maybe talking about plans for the next day, where you should start. And that's the question. Where did you start? Then here's scenario number two. You ready? Scenario number two is the day you have ahead of you, either as you listen to this or tomorrow. Try and put it all in your head, the chores, the errands, the report you haven't written yet, the blog post you haven't written yet, the rules that you have to follow, the bills, the TV shows you still need to binge, the children's needs, your significant other's needs, the hygiene and the health appointments you've been neglecting. Isn't today leg day? The political issues and the scandals you're worried about, the latest tragedy to be sad about, all of it. And the question is, where will you start? See, as it turns out, science has shown that our brains and bodies are hardwired for scenario number one. It's why the second sounds like life and the first sounds like a vacation. But why, oh why, isn't our life the vacation with sporadic two-week-long bouts of life? Here are two other scenarios, and these are both real, by the way. The first is, you're a marketing leader with a company that's just had a horrific year. You've endured a scandal involving your product, poor sales results, and a complete management overhaul. You're trying to simultaneously build a new brand and renew trust in a marketplace that's short on it. Where do you start? Second scenario, you're the strategy leader of one of the most innovative and coolest startups ever. Your dynamic CEO had a vision to disrupt one of the most dated industries on the planet. But now, he's going to go off and do something else. You're now ready to do everything now. It's your show. It's the end of something, but it's also the new beginning of something else. Of course, you don't have the resources to do everything you want, but the pressure is on you. Where do you start? Interestingly, in all of those scenarios, the new, new startup, rewriting a legacy brand, the vacation life, or just life, it's all the same. Where to start? Even when something is ending, it's time to start again. But before I tell you where you might start, Here are some things I've found that can help you from not feeling overwhelmed. Number one is feel what you feel. One of the best places to allow yourself to begin is to feel. 
Explore and actually don't deny emotions. Feel them, acknowledge them, and list out all of the things that scare you or that could go wrong or that could go right and make you feel joyous. Feel them all. Feelings have much less power over you when you actually give yourself permission to feel them. Two, map out what success looks like. Take the time to map your success. True, joyous success. What does it feel like? What does it look like? And write it out. What would need to be true for all of these successes to be realized? Write them out. You might be surprised just how settling that can be. If you don't see a successful outcome as possible, well, then stop here. There's no point in planning or starting anything. Three, discover your priorities. Look at your list of what needs to be true and when, and ask yourself, what are all the things that might get in the way of those things being true? List those things and ask yourself, of all these things, which are the big ones that need to be settled first? You've just discovered some of your first priorities. And lastly, focus on what you can and want to do. People used to ask me what I had on my to-do list, and I would say as an entrepreneur that my to-do list was actually infinite. It's never finished. I've stopped saying that because it's not true. At some point, now, I finish my day and I gather around my proverbial fire with my family, and that's where I end, and it's where I start. Know what you can and don't want to do. You still may not win, but it will still be what you can and want to do. As the saying goes, you can make zero mistakes and still lose, but you can also make a million mistakes and still win. After you've given yourself a chance to feel what you feel, you've mapped out what success looks like, you've discovered your priorities, and you've focused on what you can control, including your own commitment to the worthiness of starting it all, you may find that you're now ready to start. And there's only one place to start, only one possible place to start, and that is at the beginning. And that's the theme of our show today, beginning. Sometimes, even when things, sadly, poetically, but bittersweet, come to an end, you find yourself at the start of something new. So let's begin, again, no matter where you find yourself. And with that, it's time for me to finish this intro and begin our little show. You ready to begin? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 207 of PR's This Old Marketing. Recorded Sunday, October 29th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who always makes me want to begin again, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You know, new beginnings are nice. They're yeah, always... exactly. They're, they're generally nice, except if it's a new brown season. That's, <laughs> well, there's that. That's never... Yes. That's never... No, I'm sorry. It's Sunday as I, I got up... Uh, I didn't get up early, but... 
it was the early game because the Cleveland Browns are playing in London today. In London, yeah. I got to watch that uh, wonderful. And they were actually leading in a game for a while, which I thought was shocking and fantastic. Then I watched a real football team, Dallas Cowboys, who played played a very solid game. Solid uh, game. And and won. But uh, I'm I'm apologizing. Uh, I feel... Like I should apologize on behalf of the travel gods for your little situation today. So yeah, well, I mean, and I'll apologize to the audience for my voice quality, the sound quality. This episode, I had a the perfect storm of technology failure, travel failure, and basically all things failure. Um, we are recording this uh, well into the evening of the 29th. And, uh, yeah, so I apologize for the voice quality of, of, of this episode. Um, and, but, uh, but it's going to be what it's going to be, and the show must go on. Well, you know, we're going to run into this, too, because I think, um, you know, in November we'll be recording on the road a couple times. So uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll just uh, do it in a bar. Or something like that. I think <laughs> that would make. I think that that yeah. would make the most sense. Uh, and by the way, yeah, just to just to shout out, you know, you you and I are going on our eight city tour coming out. Contentmarketingclf.com. Yeah, check it out again. Uh, we'd love to see you in any of the cities. We're just going to have uh, a party, actually, on the road as you and I go. And I'm looking forward to hanging out with you for a while. Be super it's, fun, I'm so. really looking forward to hanging out with you. I, I think it's going to be, I mean, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a great tour. I'm really looking forward to that, it's actually. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be it's so gonna be special. Fantastic. Um, all right, shall we to the show? Let's, because we let's have do this. Some news this uh, this 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 show here. Um, let's get to our quick hits, which is all of the news that we think you should be listening to. Um, and uh, we open up with some big news uh, this week. You on as we speak this Sunday, you have penned and published a love letter, as it were, to the content marketing community and and. Well, I won't spoil it any longer. I'll, I'll just let you sort of uh, describe what uh, what's going on. Yeah, it's been nice. So it's late Sunday night and Sunday morning. Uh, CMI published on the blog uh, something that I worked on for a while. Uh, my wife says it's way too long or longer than it needs to be, but I called it a content marketing love letter. And basically what I did is I just went through, you know, it's been 10 years with CMI and I went through how we got started and how you and I met and how Michelle Lynn got involved and all the struggle and everything and kind of went through that whole, because I wanted to tell the story and, the, and talk about the journey and, and thank the community so much for everything that uh, they've been able to do for me. I'm humbled by the entire experience about being part of this content marketing community. And I have the opportunity here at the end of the year um, to take some time off. So that's what I've decided to do. So my last official day uh, in operations for Content Marketing Institute will be the last day of December and starting January 1st. And I talk about this. I go in detail in the in the letter, but I'll, I'll just rehash some of the minor points. On January, I'm going on an internet-free sabbatical for 30 days. So that sounds I, wonderful. Yeah, so I'm just going <laughs> to totally cleanse myself of technology for a while. Um, I've been I've been trying to write write a little fiction, work on uh, work on some other small projects, but really spend time with the family. Uh, as everyone knows that listens to this, I've got two teenage boys, and uh, I'll be 
you know, taking them to and from school and doing fun things like that and um, spending weekends with them and, and spending, you know, a lot of the time that I missed out on some things. And, and of course, my wife as well and spending more time with family. And then in February, I've got a couple very special trips set up, uh, one with my dad, other ones with the family. And I'm going to do some things I never had the chance to do. So that means, and, and, and I, honestly, because in a lot of people, obviously, most people listening to this know that we sold Content Marketing Institute to a great company called UBM. They're, you know, they've they've kept the team almost entirely together, and that has given me the opportunity to take a little bit of a break. So that means that, you know, I won't be publishing on the blog, and I and I won't be doing this amazing podcast. And you and I, I mean, people don't know this, but just so I mean, I'm going to talk to the community here. Robert and I have talked about this incessantly. And this has been a very difficult decision, probably of all the things, you know, in taking this break, of all the things that I do as part of Content Marketing Institute, this podcast is my favorite. I get to talk yeah. with one of my best friends in the world, my brother, every week. Um, a lot of people don't know, you know, we talk, we talk on the show for an hour, but you and I generally talk 30 minutes beforehand, just catching up and just talking about life. And then we stop the show, we talk for another 20 minutes. So even when I say, say tell my, my wife, hey, I'm going to record the podcast, which should generally take an hour. It takes two hours because right. you, and I, <laughs> you and I have to, have to talk, uh, talk quite a bit about things. So, um, so we have to tell all of our listeners right now that um, we don't know the exact last episode, but it will be mid or mid to late December. Uh, we're trying to figure out the exact date. We'll know that in a, in a couple weeks or so, what the last episode of PNR This Old Marketing will be. And all I can do is be honest with uh, you, the audience, right now. And Robert and I are going to do something else together. We don't know when it's going to be. Uh, we don't know what it's going to be about. We don't know if we're going to continue This Old Marketing or do something different. Uh, we know we've talked about it. But for right now, this old marketing as we know it will end at the end of the year. And I've so enjoyed this ride. It's been so much fun. And um, I guess I'm looking forward to whatever the next chapter holds for you and for me and for the community. But uh, I just wanted to thank you, Robert, just for making this such a special part of my week for the last 207 consecutive weeks which is hard to believe yeah right <laughs> and when when uh january comes along in the first week i probably will be like oh i gotta get ready for the podcast and i'm not going to do it that week but uh so anyways i wanted to let everyone know um so i penned it all it's uh we'll link it in the show notes but it's it's the sunday post content marketing love letter on uh, contentmarketinginstitute.com where you can get all 2000 plus words of it <laughs> that every time I talk about it, my wife says it's way too long. And I added about a thousand words that I didn't have to, but I basically mentioned everyone that was influential uh, and, and what the content marketing community means to me. And that starts with you, Robert. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for, for being an amazing friend through this process because some people could have been real jerks about it and said, no, like, I can't believe you're doing this, but you've been very supportive the entire time with me wanting to sort of end this chapter of uh, my life and start something else. And I don't know what that chapter is going to be, but I'm excited for that opportunity. Well, it's, um, it's easy when it's a guy like you to be nice. 
that's I mean, so right back at you because it's it's one of those things where you know it in in life you are granted several people and few of them come into your life and make as big an impact as you have made on mine and and it, you know the the when those people enter your life it becomes very easy to do good things and that's what it should be about and and so you know right back at you thank you for for 207 consecutive weeks of Stupid, snarky, <laughs> ridiculous—incredibly <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, um, and thanks to the audience for putting up with our shenanigans, and we'll we'll figure out some way to make this go out with a bang, so that there's reason to listen for the next six or seven weeks, um, and uh, and we'll see. It's to the theme of the show. It's begin again. You know, we'll see. We'll we'll see what comes out of this end um, and starts uh, anew. Well, and and the other, I guess I'll just throw out. I mean, we were just going to do regular episodes, but if the audience wants to hear anything particular, because why not? Like, sure. if you want yeah, us to cover right. a special yeah. episode we'll- <laughs> on something, if you want <laughs> we'll- us to talk about something strange, if you wanted to to do, I don't even know. Come up with whatever you want us to yeah. do. Who cares? We'll go ahead. <laughs> we'll go ahead and do it. Uh, so just just uh, use the hashtag. The band is now taking yeah. requests. Yes, yeah, that's, that's, basically... that's a really good way to put it. We've we've yeah. completed our set. We've completed yeah. the first and the second set, and now we're in on the request line. And, Freebird. Uh, <laughs> so whatever, whatever you'd like, use the hashtag this old marketing on Twitter. Let us know uh, what you want to hear. But yeah, the the audience has been great. That the. the it's been that's probably the biggest this is why surprise. it's the hard well yeah, it's why it's the hardest thing the yeah it's been it really is feel i mean obviously your family but our little extended family that have been tweeting us and sending us emails and we've got a regular crew of 50 to 75 folks that just send us stuff all the time uh and those people are very special to us you know who you are so thank you very much for that and and we'll see what the we'll see what the future holds i know that you and I will do something fantastic. I just don't know what exactly that is yet. So, oh we'll, yeah, we're yeah, we'll yeah. see. I really think that we should record an album of <laughs> some kind. <laughs> Although I don't have any musical on, talent, so yeah. I'm going to have to lean on you <laughs> that's for that. Never stop. That's it's never stopped. stopped. It's Actually, never stop anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, true. And we've been bad at so many things, but we've done it anyways, and it's it's been okay. So why yeah. not just continue with that theme? So exactly. So exactly. yeah. So uh, so there's that. And um, all right. And I don't know. Do we have a regular show to go on to? We or? do. Yeah. There's a few other stories that we well, should talk about here. Let's um, about certainly those. in in, uh, in our quick hits um, section. Anyway, there's there's a story that's the future of advertising, according to Michael Wolf. Um, that's our second story here to cover for the show. It comes courtesy of MediaPost.com, and the article opens up by saying the adoption of new business models, subscription services, data, and virtual and augmented reality will drive revenue for media companies as consumer behavior changes during the next few years. Consulting firm Activate estimates the industry will reach 300 billion billion dollars in media spend 
outpacing gross domestic product growth. The future of advertising may not seem like advertising at all, but rather a mix of technology and services that supports how consumers prefer to interact with brands. Michael Wolf, co-founder and manager and director at Activate, spoke with the Digital News Daily, that's Media Post, to share his thoughts on the changing digital economy based on analysts compiled with the recent report, Activate Tech and Media Outlook 2018. It then goes on to outline some of Mr. Wolf's thinking on this, which I found relatively interesting. What did you think? I have two uh, two small takes on it, but before I get into that, did you? This is what I picked up in it. I picked up that uh, Mr. Wolf really does see two different, distinctly different business models, where there are media companies and maybe like let's put platforms, maybe three media companies, platforms, and then advertisers. Like like it yeah. was separate, and and by the way, that's a that's a very uh, that's something we're used to because if you read like an advertising age article, an ad week article, sometimes you get that kind of feel like oh this is the way you know advertising and media companies are so different than anything else out there, and I just did, it just didn't feel right to me. It feels like it should. I wish that uh, there would be more given to, hey, we're all in the same business model here. We just choose to monetize some and not others. That's where I believe we're at right now. Basically, everybody's yeah. in the same model. Did you get that at all? That's how I felt I when I read it. I I did. Um, you know, it was so I was struck by his. Um, and this, you know, I won't pimp too much of my my commentary slash rant later for the show. But what I picked up on was in the middle of the interview, he said he talked about the three hundred billion dollars of growth in the next few years for media companies. And he talks about it coming from access versus advertising. And what he says he means, he clarifies himself and says access to subscription-based services on the web, such as phone and television services, this access will grow at about 6% versus 4, 4.5%. He says we're reaching oversaturation in advertising and it will become more difficult for media companies to raise prices and earn from it. What he's suggesting there is something that I think all of us would say the writing has been on the wall for a long time, which is media companies are migrating over to subscription versus advertising. What he doesn't acknowledge, and I think gives us the reason and the sort of heebie-jeebies about why this doesn't feel right, is that brand companies are doing exactly the same thing. He's suggesting, and by not actually, he's suggesting by the absence of it, that brand companies are going to continue to be advertisers and just continue to do the thing. That he doesn't suggest, he doesn't acknowledge or know or suggest that quite frankly, media or brand companies can become media companies and go for that same access and build the same relationship with audiences that media companies can. And so uh, that to me just says he's a media guy and doesn't really understand product marketing. But, uh, you know, I mean, look, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Maybe he knows and he just doesn't say, but he, it, at least kind of, that's the way it came out to me in the interview. Yeah. I t- told that's, that's what I got from it. Other than, other than that, there's this hint of, and you brought you bring this up all the time because of what happened at Motorola when Eduardo Conrado uh, has brought uh, sales, marketing, and IT together under what do they call it? Experience. 
Yeah, that's exactly so right. At least that's the way it was. Customer customer experience. Is so exactly basically, right. there's a hint in this about the uh, the combination of of IT and advertising and marketing and and I, so I'm gonna I'm, I pay respect to that thought, even though I, you sort of have to dig at it a little bit to find it here. But that's what I took from it, where I really do see that as a possible um, trend, if you will, with with brands looking at hey marketing. And sales, of course, we see the integration that's been happening for a while, but also bringing IT in because if we want to be great communicators and create these amazing content experiences, we need to make sure that we have at least a good portion of the technical people that understand how to build those in the technology that you're using as part of the team. Does that mean it's yeah. all of IT? No, probably not. There's a lot of IT that isn't necessarily part of that. But that's why Motorola did what they did. So I think that's another trend that I really thought was was interesting. Did you pick anything well, else out of here? Or? I, it was exactly that. You know that that um, the the acknowledgement of technology and you know I mean, of course it had to be about virtual reality and augmented yeah. reality because no technology article in marketing can go without mentioning <laughs> those things. Say, these yeah, days. you have yeah. to say a, <laughs> AR, VR, and AI. And if right. you don't, thing it's was, not a trend. Right, yeah. Exactly. And the only thing that was missing was the Internet of Things, right? If they had gotten the Internet of Things in there, it would have been the, you know, the triple double, um, and everybody <laughs> would have gone home happy. But they didn't get quite that far. No, but what I think is interesting, and you and I just had on a, on a podcast we did together as an interview, we talked a little about this, which is this, you know, this, the, the emergence of technology, data, storytelling, content, and general customer experience becoming such a large remit for the business that maybe it's too big for marketing, right? So yeah. does it redefine marketing in a way that is broader than what we've ever thought of as marketing before, where they have to know, you know, technology. So there's a chief digital officer. You have to know customer experience. So there's a customer experience chief, you know, chief customer experience officer and so on and so forth, where data, technology, customer experience, content, all of that comes together. And how do you start segmenting that in the business and under what department? And right now, I think that's, in many ways, a big mess in most larger organizations. Well, what's so, what's so amazing about what you just said is that, so let's go back 30 years, right? Everyone had a product or a mix of products. They sold stuff. And you could actually differentiate your company on the products and services that you have. You, that yeah. is, was a possible thing. Today, very hard to do because everyone can, because of the technologies here today, everyone can copy anything that you create. And as Don Schultz, one of my mentors, uh, Professor Emeritus at Northwestern, has always said, the only way today that you can truly differentiate your brand, your company, is how you communicate. If we believe that's true, that means that marketing must elevate itself in the organization and it becomes part of the broader business model, which we talk about in Killing Marketing, which is why this is so critical today. And that's, and that's the thing. If you don't believe that, if you, if you believe that you can differentiate yourself uh, distinctly with other factors, price, product, placement, whatever, then fine. Right. Then you can live in that world. I don't live Fine. in that world. I live Fine. in the world. Yeah, I live in the world where the only way to truly differentiate yourself is how you communicate, and that means yeah. that we do business today much 
differently than we did in the past. And that's the, that's the opportunity. And that's also why a lot of companies will go out of business. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So interesting piece. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, good. And so, okay, so moving on to our third and uh, uh, final story of our quick hits section anyway is interesting. Uh, this one comes courtesy of businessinsider.com and probably is something that everybody will be not at all surprised by, um, which the headline is LinkedIn is now considering a push into original content. The article opens up by saying LinkedIn may begin creating or acquiring original video content for its platform, according to comments from the company CEO, Jeff Weiner, uh, uh, covered by International Business Times and The Information. The comments from Weiner, uh, or is it Weiner or Weiner? I think it's Weiner. I think it's it? Weiner. Jeff Weiner. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Weiner. Come amid an overall push from the professional networking platform to become more video-centric, it recently rolled out native video uploading and video ads. So... What say you, Mr. Polizzi? You know, is this you know sort of LinkedIn joining the Facebook, Twitter, Apple, you know, everybody's game, or is this something different? Well, I read it as the same, but I don't think it should be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, (laughs) uh, and even when they started saying, "Oh, well, we could do a Shark Tank series," and what? Come on. Come on, are you really, is that what you're really thinking of when you're talking about original content creation? Uh, I guess there's a, and I don't have all the answers, obviously, but I think there's a bigger idea here where we can be more strategic about the content we're creating than just, oh, here's our audience, 45% uh, make more than 75,000 per year, and Twitter, and uh, and uh, and uh, Facebook and Snapchat—they're all spending all kinds of money on content to do these original shows, and we should too. That's how I read this, which yes. I think is a bunch of malarkey. Yes, <laughs> so. uh, you know, uh, you know what, you know what? Here, here's the thing that that struck me about this, which is, you know, and I know hindsight is twenty twenty and all of that, but this is exact. We talked about this. I don't know. Three years, whenever it was that they acquired SlideShare, yes. when LinkedIn acquired SlideShare, the vision for SlideShare and everybody and all the pundits and everybody was up in arms going, this is amazing. They're going to transform SlideShare into the YouTube of business and, and create this marketplace where the same kind of ecosystem that now exists in YouTube for the people like Matt Pat and Casey Neistat and all of those kinds of people can exist on a consumer side can exist in a business side. And if you created something like that within LinkedIn, then it would be really, really interesting, you know, to, to allow makers basically or companies or, you know, basically anybody who wanted to create content in this ecosystem to create original programming. And then, of course, you monetize it like Google is monetizing the content through Casey Neistat and all the yep. rest of it. Now, the interesting question is, is the timing still there for that? Can you still do that? In other words, has that ship already sailed with YouTube and Vimeo and every other you know video platform that's out there for the makers who would have been part of this ecosystem? Or does LinkedIn's newly found, and I don't know if you've been like paying attention to, to the general zeitgeist of LinkedIn, but everybody's like all a flutter about LinkedIn now and how much traction people are getting yeah. and how many views people are getting on their videos that they do live streaming with has this sort of renaissance of LinkedIn 
now connected in a way where they could pull in this original content and actually build something worth you know paying for quite frankly yeah i don't know i've heard the same thing i the way that i read this article and the way that i've been taking oh linkedin's dive into more original content is oh we're creating more inventory that's what I, that's <laughs> right. how i'm reading right. it because that's what they're saying Oh, hey, we video, boy, we can monetize video. So we need, oh, so what does that mean? We got to create some shows because people are buying video ads like crazy. And just turn me off. I just don't, yeah. I, I just don't like it. I think there's, to your point, there's something bigger here. Like even if you talked about, I'd be more interested in um, our four largest groups, um, a more most engaged groups are around these topics and so we are going to acquire XYZ companies to fit in. Like they're basically start acquire media companies or something like that that make the most sense. And then here's how we're going to, you know, take that to the next level or, or something like that. I, and maybe there is something strategic, but this doesn't, this sounds very tactical <laughs> right. to me. That's, that's my it, concern. When the, when the, yeah. when the potential could be huge and maybe they don't need it. I mean, micro, under Microsoft now, maybe, maybe they just don't. Maybe they just need the engagement. They're just a media company, yeah, but, and they're going to. But isn't got the- this why Microsoft bought LinkedIn? I mean, as a media property. I mean, isn't this the whole point um, that LinkedIn is supposed to serve for Microsoft? Is you know, doesn't it have the opportunity to be Microsoft's YouTube um, and and you know, combination? Right? It's the, it's Microsoft's combination, Facebook and YouTube, which is a media platform for business people, which is. Uh, anyway, I, the 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 inherent sort of magic here is just so right there. It's just it, it's when I saw this, it was like, wow, this headline feels five years too old, right? You yeah. know, or and, and so it it just it, it feels like I, I it's so like duh. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. Yeah, I think that there there could be something. There could be an amazing opportunity here, which from what I'm reading is not going to happen. This is basically just, <laughs> we're going to create some shows, right. we're going to buy some shows, yeah. we're going to invent some shows, and we're going to create lots of video inventory so our guys and gals can go out and sell more advertising. We're going to create some stuff. We're going to create some stuff. Some stuff. Yeah. And I love the folks some... at LinkedIn. Always have. Still oh, yeah. Do. No, they're fantastic. Great partner no, they're, of ours. They're, no, yeah, but, they're a very great partner of ours. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I, I, would, I, would think, I would think a little bit bigger than, I mean, you really, I think you have to... You have to like almost like Jeff, what would Jeff, what would Jeff Bezos do, right? Right. I mean, really, right. How would he treat this? And I don't think he would just do this for to sell more ads. Wouldn't happen. There you go. Yeah. All right. Done. All right. Well, that covers our quick hits. Now we're going to transform ourselves and go into the in-depth where we look at a few stories um, where it's a little more in-depth and a little more specific about the practice and approach of content marketing. And we start our in-depth segment with a really interesting one. We covered this last year when it came out, when it was their third annual. It is now their fourth annual. This is Andy Crestadina and his Orbit Media releasing their fourth annual blogging uh, research, 
fantastic, just wonderful research. Um, as the opening of the blog post that supports the release of the research says, it started with a simple question, how long does it take to write a blog post? To find the answer, we reached out to more than a thousand bloggers. We asked a few other questions at the same time, and the responses gave us insight into the business of blocking, blogging. Each year since, we've repeated this research. Over time, the data tells the story of a changing industry, and this is now their fourth annual, and just a fascinating look at the blogging industry. So anything in here stand out to you? Well, I'm going to mention, uh, because I had a conversation with Andy, and he was showing me the results before he publishes. This is about a month ago. And I had the opportunity to look at the data on number of words and frequency of blogging and those types of things. So the, the, the things that I thought were fascinating is there, there continues to be a drop in frequency. So if you were a daily publisher of blog, of a blog piece, you've gone to every other day or two times a week or so. So that has continued to happen over the past three years. Um, so basically moving from, you know, once once a you know, two times three times a week to two to six times per month so that's interesting and then when you look at the number of words we've gone from we were 800 an average of 808 words per blog post in 2014 and today that's 1142 some 30 some percent increase whatever that is yeah and so it's interesting that less but more in depth and what i commented on was what we've done at at Content Marketing Institute, which is pretty similar, where we have yeah. we have even recently looked at uh, you know less posts, uh, less e newsletters, but more impact with those, and the articles that we do present are much longer than they used to be. I remember when we started this thing back in two thousand ten, you know we would oftentimes have a blog post that was four hundred, five hundred, six hundred words. Right. I can't remember the last one we've done that wasn't fifteen hundred. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, more in-depth, um, more strategic. I'm just glad you know. because I can't, I can't ever write a blog post that's less than 1,500 words. That, just, that is true. I'm, that's, I'm yeah, incapable that's of just doing the setup. it. That's just a setup, too. That does, <laughs> yeah. There's no content yet. You're just, am, you're yeah. just setting the stage and painting exactly. the picture of what the background looks like. I just, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad the industry caught up with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a trendsetter. But, you know, it's interesting that... This this trend has is so universal and has be, become to be global as well. And even we we talked about the about dot com example last week, where they are doing the same thing. You know, they had a, a you know whatever a million uh, articles. Now they have two hundred fifty thousand, and they're focusing. And there's it's mentioned in the research as well about updating older pieces of content, which more and more that seems to be a thing. So instead of you know we what we talk about instead of a hundred apple pie recipes, about dot com now has four of the best apple pie recipes on the planet, and they just freshen up those old posts, and you're not creating new content com- to compete unnecessarily with the old content. So I think those are the two things that I took away from it was longer, more in depth, less frequent. And also a serious strategic move to update older content and make sure you have that posted somewhere in your system so that it will remind you to update that every month, three months, six months, whatever, however often you have to update that. So I don't it's know. Do you, what what you did know, you take from this? That the, it's, it, one is that, that that's an incredibly uh, useful insight that I really didn't even think about until I heard 
Andy talking about it, um, which is this new effort and strategy and how successful it is to actually go in and update older posts and optimize them um, for the current, you know, what, you know, and, 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 you know, as he says, pull the dates out, but make them current, right? Update them, find those ones that are performing well for you and have a significant part of your strategy be to update old, old posts because they can absolutely work wonders for you. So, you know, we tend to write them and then forget them. And, Managing that content is 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 something that can be extraordinarily uh, valuable. Um, the other thing that was uh, th- that really struck me was the uh, the use of editors um, yep. and how and how much that's increased and how basically that we're getting professional about this whole thing, right? The length, the quantity versus quality argument, as well as the use of editors, and we're professionalizing it, right? It's getting you know even with the fake news and everything that's out there and everything that's sort of wrong with what what's going on in 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 generally in news and journalism and all of that we are getting more professional about the way that we approach blogging and the way that we look at you know the the content we're creating and so all of it to me points in a good direction it's a, yeah it's it's amazing <laughs> well the thing is you can't olay it anymore you right. could That's a, well, when I started exactly. blogging in 2000. So I started in April 2007. I started blogging, and you could say I was a late bloomer because there were a lot of amazing bloggers. Oh, before sure. I, for, before I came around, and you could get away with a 400 to 600 post that wasn't the greatest in the world, and just kind of move on. Today, you can't do that. You cannot only every piece of content you distribute needs to be top shelf. Yeah. And if you only one piece of content, uh, you might lose that audience. Yeah. So, yeah, our tolerance for crap has gone way down. That, basically, that is that's true. That's we don't, we don't, and we don't give second chances lightly. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, keep that in mind when you're on your little retirement village thing. <laughs> that's right. I'm gonna be, but no, but, but they keep pulling me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't olay that one, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next article. All uh, right. Yeah. So our last article under the in-depth section, uh, and big hat tip, by the way, here to Mr. Michael Stelzner, our friend um, and family part of the show. Headline here is, our friends at Facebook are up to it again. They are now testing subscriptions in support of Instant Articles. Now, we covered this um, as part of a show a few shows ago about the, the that they were going to do this. They have now done it. And we'll link to two uh, sources here. One is the actual Facebook release where they talk about the details here. Um, and the other is an article from the next web. Um, and we'll read, I'll just read you the introduction from the f- actual Facebook post. Um, it says, over the next few weeks, we are going to be launching a test to support news subscription models and instant articles, a partnership with a small group of publishers across the U.S. and Europe. This, this initial test will roll out on Android devices, and we hope to expand it soon. This is a direct result of the work we're doing through the Facebook Journalism Project. We've listened to the news publishers all over the world to better understand their needs and goals and collaborating more closely on the development of new products from the beginning of the process. They go on to describe some of that, uh, some of which includes that the transaction will actually happen with the publisher. Um, we're assuming that some Facebook is going to take some cut of that or will certainly make it up in the ability for you to promote it. And the second 
And the most interesting one, to me anyway, is the fact that they are going to let the publishers keep the data. You, when you subscribe to a, a, a publisher, you they will be you will be subscribing to them, and they will be getting your data. There is no middleman here with Facebook. They are actually making the access to the data available. So. I think it's an interesting development. I think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it, it definitely doesn't, you know, negate anything we've been saying in the way of advice here. But, but did you make anything different out of this? You know, I was, we talked about before the show, I was trying to make heads or tails, tails of it. Why Facebook is doing this if they're not getting a cut of the financials in all this. And you said that you believe that they would be getting some cut from the payment processing, but it sounds it, to me, it sounded like it would all happen on whatever the LA times platform or Washington post platform and not part of Facebook. But do we know that for sure? I mean, we don't, we don't, I, I, you know, I take from it, you know, that there's going to be that the actual technology involved here is some sort of Facebook technology. And so I just have to assume that because they're going to be providing the payment gateway, that it's going to be very much like every other payment gateway that you set up when you set up an e-commerce transaction, that there will be some percentage of the fee collected as the payment for using the payment gateway. Now, maybe they'll give that away because they, they're using it as a, uh, a lost leader to pull in publishers to who, who will spend more than on promotion in an effort to get their subscription, you know, up to the top of the list of the, of the algorithm. It doesn't matter. Is it ultimately yeah. fa- Facebook's going to be making money at this? Well, so there's, the, you know, that's the that's the that's the bottom line. Well, they would not be doing this otherwise. Well, I hate to do this, but I always, for the past couple of years, whenever I see a Facebook post, I always say, "All right, where's the evil plot in this?" <laughs> I just can't help it. I do. I'm like, okay, where's Facebook trying to totally dominate the world? And make this move. And the way that I read it is, they're going to make this work so well and so seamless. And the these publishers that are getting these great subscriptions and they're getting good rates and they're starting to really generate these revenues. And then Facebook's going to say, well, if you really want this to work, you're going to have to promote it. Because if you don't promote it, like you said, and pay us a significant amount of money, we're just going to hide it. And they already drank from the cup. So they're going to say it works. So now we got to put some sponsored posts behind, sponsored uh, money behind it, and then Facebook's going to get their money back, and then probably also take a cut in the back end. So, yeah, I, you know, the, I, yes, <laughs> yes to all of the above. There, I think you know. So the, I mean, the, which the is whole fine. Thing, it's yeah, fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's really fine. fine. I don't. It, I mean, it really is fine. It just, it's it just caveat emptor, right? I mean, so just as you walk into this, just understand. What we're getting into here is that, you know, by, by opening up the transaction, the other thing they could do, and who knows, I've not seen any of the contract or legalese here, but the other thing that they could do is they could say, well, for now, we're going to give you the data, but, you know, over time, we need to maintain the trust of our subscribers and the trust of our audience. So over time, what we're going to do is we're actually going to make the access to that data, uh, it's going to be a little, relegated right we'll we'll we're going to protect some of that data so there's there's a million different ways to slice this to me this is them saying hey we realize we're pissing you all off 
And so we need to do something that's actually going to make you want to publish through the Facebook platform. And so they need to get some big name publishers to, to come on board here because the press hasn't been that great on what they've been doing. Yeah. So uh, this to me is a press play and a, uh, uh, and, and a buzz, um, uh, as it were. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, I mean, if you, you look out into 10 years and how these, uh, some of these CEOs visualize this, they'll say, okay, uh, they want it to be, no, we're not going to go on the internet. We're going to go on Facebook. We're going to go on Amazon. We're going to go on Google. And I don't know where Apple is in this whole thing. Right. But that's what I think that they're seeing. Like, that's what Facebook definitely sees because it's like, oh, we're not going on the internet. We're going on Facebook because we get everything on Facebook. Right. Well, like and Alibaba, people, same thing. Right, exactly. Well, and for a lot of people, the internet is Facebook. You know, I mean, it's, it's, they're, 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 for many, many people in the world, Facebook is, you know, my sister in law is one of them. For her, there is no internet, it's Facebook. That's the only thing she it's, really does on online is to use Facebook, which my, is, you know, I mean, yeah. My, my, <laughs> my, my, uh, my cousin said the same thing today. He said something about, uh, well, if it's not on Amazon, it's not worth buying. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, I hate oh, yeah. that. I yeah. hate it. It's probably true. But I hate it nonetheless. Yeah. So. Yeah. You can't find it in Walmart. It ain't worth buying. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of buying, we have a wonderful new, I mean, perfect timing for a brand new sponsor to come on board just as we're going to sunset this thing. But, um, yeah, there you go. Storyblocks is, well, as, uh, is as, our new sponsor. As, uh, as as Ricky Bobby always says, if you ain't first, you last, right? So, <laughs> no, we got a great new sponsor. Our friends at uh, Storyblocks. Shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. <laughs> Dear baby Jesus. No, okay. Uh, so I'd like to tell you, Robert, about this yes. wonderful company called Storyblocks. So I want everyone to go to storyblocks.com slash CMI. And you can get all your stock images, video, and audio you can imagine for just $149. Now, it's storyblocks.com slash CMI to download anything from thousands of images, videos, and tracks and unlock discounts on millions more. So, I mean, you've been in this position, Robert. You and I both have. Have you, you know, creative needs ever been compromised due to budgetary constraints? Let's say you wanted to use a photo of the Statue of Liberty or, or maybe in your case, Robert, Tom Landry. And you couldn't afford the cost of the clip, and you had to leave it out altogether. Well, you won't happen with the, with Storyblocks. You can get high quality stock images, videos, and audios for a fraction of the cost. You can download all the stock to your heart's desire from their member library, including four hundred thousand images, one hundred fifty thousand videos, and one hundred thousand audio clips. All content is royalty free, so you can use it for commercial and personal projects. New content is added regularly, so there's always something fresh to download. So go to storyblocks.com slash CMI to get all your stock images, footage, and audio you can imagine. That's storyblocks.com slash CMI. And thank you to our friends, our new friends, our new friends, new short-lived friends, but new friends nonetheless <laughs> at storyblocks.com. Absolutely. So, it really I is a great service. I, I was checking yeah. it out. It's really, really good service. I do. You know, I subscribe to those things. So I, I you know, because you know, I love me some slide design when I, when I, when I do my, um, 
when I do my presentations. Well, yeah, so I mean, I if have... you don't have, I mean, if you're a big enterprise, you can afford to do some some pretty interesting things. If you if you don't have a budget for this, right. you can get you can get professional looking stuff, all you know, with rights, which is the important thing. You're not you know, with rights, and you get it d- done in whatever you're doing, and it's yeah. pretty darn easy. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you to Storyblocks for that. And uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave sections when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're at the end or something that makes us feel like we're right at the beginning. Um, and let's see. I'm going first because I have this old marketing this week. So I will tell you um, about uh, – I guess it's a commentary more than anything else because – it's a fascinating. Uh, it's a fascinating thing, actually. So, what we're going to link to in the show notes uh, is are two articles that I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure are unaware of each other. Um, one from Min Online, um, which is a media site basically targeted toward publishers and media professionals and those sorts of things, and then the other from MarketingCharts.com, which is talking about a serious decisions study that just came out. And so here's the thing. So the, the two articles themselves basically say exactly the same thing. And that's what I want to comment on. But, and I'm, this is neither a rant on the articles because the articles themselves are really wonderful. There's, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, there's nothing overly amazing about them either. They're, they're, but the, but the, the together, the fact that they came out in this, like literally within a day of each other, just is a big data point for me and in, in what I want to talk about, which is this idea of, as, as I've been on a rant about the last few uh, months anyway, is the building of audiences. Since we, you know, since we launched the book, since the, you know, since, and, and really in the aftermath of all of that, we've been talking about nothing but the power of building audiences and how that plays into strategy. And so the first article is the one from Min Online is, um, how legacy media is beginning to put an intense focus on audiences over attention. And so the idea is that these media companies are now looking to evolve into these new models where first-party data is leveraged to value audiences. And so they might say, hey, a subscriber is worth X, but a non-subscriber might actually be worth more if they have a higher tendency to take more actions. In other words, they look or click on more ads or they they answer more, more poll surveys or they provide for explicit data in other ways. Um, and so it's this move that we can start to see from, and they tell the story of The Economist from the subscriber point of view from and from a, a couple of others, Vice um, and others, that are focusing on this first-party data and looking at the measurement of audiences as an evolution of the way that they're driving success with media companies. All right, so now, with that in your head, the other article comes from a new study. It's on uh, marketingcharts.com, which um, I just wanted to link there instead of serious decisions because I'm sort of ornery that way. Um, and the new study, from it talks about how B2B CMOs are looking at audience development strategies as the new focus, and I don't know why they can't come out and say content marketing, because they, they, they sort of go out of their way to say everything about content without saying content marketing, but it really talks about the fact that the challenge for CMOs that they rank the highest in this study that they just did, this is Serious Decisions talking about B2B CMOs, is we want to focus on customer experience. And of course, that's not news. We've, you've heard it here. You've heard it everywhere. 
But interestingly, the challenge, and this is what the study really pointed out, was that the businesses don't understand the customer experience because they don't understand the customer well enough to be customer-centric. And so what they're finding is, is that these B2B CMOs are launching these new initiatives. These They call it content initiatives. This is where they can't come, come to the, call it content marketing. And they say they're launching these content initiatives as a means of understanding their audiences, as a means of becoming more customer-centric. And then they make the point of saying the challenge is, is that CMOs and the marketing teams don't know how to do this. They don't, they need it. They need training. They need education. Um, I know a guy who can help you with that, by the way, but there's this wonderful thing where they're saying basically the evolution of the B2B CMO is looking at the measurement and development of audiences. And then you had this other article talking about the evolution of media, talking about the measurement and evolution and building of audiences. These two things coming together, it's literally chocolate and peanut butter. I just, I couldn't have been more excited to read these two articles in, in concert with one another. And together, I think they sort of add up to me to a huge data point that we're, that we're onto something. We're, we're onto something really interesting here. I love this for the fact that you and I both speak to media audiences and marketing audiences. And yeah. when you, they don't really know the others going on. <laughs> they really right. don't. Right. It's so funny to have these conversations. Well, just to our, but you know, was, there's there's brands out there doing the same thing you're doing. Well, like, exactly. What? Well, that was to the Michael Wolf point, right? Because he was talking as this media guy talking about this idea, unaware of what's going. Well, either unaware or certainly not acknowledging in this interview of what was going on yeah. with on these on the CMO and product marketing side. And here it is, sort of in full color from this serious decisions, you know. Research and, and grant you, they're positioning it. I mean, this is serious decisions positioning it, but the fact that serious decisions is positioning this as an audience development strategy to me just says the world about, you know, about where we actually are in the blurring of the lines between media and product companies. Good take. That's awesome. That you, same yeah. week, different audiences. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Right. So, Isn't that our life? Same week, a- different audiences. <laughs> Uh, I have a very quick rant. Um, Thank you for... You actually were going to put this in the show flow. I already had it as a rant, so we kept it as my rant. And I had quite a few people, especially my friends from Australia, send this to me. This is is from Mumbrella. It's a marketing, uh, sales and marketing uh, media company from Australia. covers Asia Pacific, but mostly Australia. Um, And the title of the article is, Looks Like Content is No Longer King. And it's a continuing set of articles on what's happened to King content. So basically just – we've covered this on the show. But basically uh, large uh, media and uh, media plus agency company, Isentia, in Australia paid $48 million for King Content, a content marketing agency. And things happen where they wrote down – uh, the 48 million and they've said it's not a success and all this stuff. And since that's happened, there's been a number of articles saying basically, and we've talked about this on the show quite extensively, that content marketing is dead. And it's the same formula that you talk about all the time. But I wanted to, I, I basically, I was going to leave a comment, Robert, is what I wanted to do because I was so sick of it. So this is what I wrote. I actually have the comment here. I didn't click submit. Good for you. I have, yeah. I'm just going to read it, and I don't even think it's that good. But I'm going to read it here because I had it done, and and here we go. I say, hi, Malcolm. Malcolm wrote the article. 
Yeah. While I always appreciate articles about content marketing, this one is hard to read with a straight face. I'm leaving King Content to the side, which I have my own thoughts about. But let's say that it was a massive mistake by Essentia uh, to purchase King Content, which I don't actually agree with. Does one failed example constitute that the entire industry is failing? Does one bad television show mean all television is rubbish? I use rubbish purposely because I know they like that word. (laughs) Does one advertising campaign mean they are all bad? Of course not. And on the second part of your article, of course, no person would say that they want content marketing. So basically, he goes through in this article, and he says he was speaking at an event. I know. This this was my favorite part of the whole thing. Actually, uh, let's go to it here. We got time. We got nothing else to do, right? Let me go to this article because this is funny. Uh, I'm going to read it right out of the article, which brings me to a speech I delivered at the New Zealand Direct Marketing Conference. As I'm curious by nature, I asked the audience, about 200 marketers and agency types, the following questions. Who wants every brand they come in contact with to deliver more advertising and an increasing volume of content to them at every opportunity possible? Who wants more email in their inbox? Who wants more notifications on their mobile? Uh, Who woke up this morning craving relationships with consumer brands? Blah, blah, blah. Then, says, the answers were fascinating. Not one marketer in the room wanted more content delivered to them by marketers. Not one marketer in the room wanted more email. Not one marketer in the room wanted more notifications. And then goes on at this. He says, this is fascinating stuff, folks. Like he really unearthed something. (laughs) Oh, my God, folks. The earth is not flat. I have found the answer to all of our questions that we really don't want more content. Oh my God. I can't believe that he actually, it it makes our job so much easier, Robert, that he actually found this out for us. So here's basically, I went and talked about that. Of course, nobody wants more content marketing. Nobody would say that they want more content. Nobody wants more email. No one wants another email or another podcast or any other piece of content. We've had too much content since the dawn of the printing press. But people will spend mounds of attention on valuable content experiences in whatever form they may be. If the content is marketing in cheap clothing, of course it won't work. But if it's truly valuable and delivered consistently and builds a loyal and valuable audience, it works better than nearly anything else on the planet. So I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Now, I'm not even mad at Malcolm. Malcolm's fine, wrote the article. Malcolm, you're fine, buddy. I got no problems with you. I got no beef with you, man. You know what I got a beef with? Mumbrella. Yeah. Would you that. stop publishing this crap? On and yeah. on and on. They keep doing this content marketing is dead thing over and over because of one example. You've got to go deeper. Like, I don't know what the, who the editors are there, but you can't just blindly accept this content. Say, oh, let's just let's just kick this King content thing over and over and over again. Yeah. I'm just getting tired of it and I don't know why they do it. Mumbrella, please. I think that you should you should either pr- uh, print an article that looks at both sides and not just one example of why content marketing is dying <clears throat> or just don't do anything at all. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Was that a rant or a rave? I couldn't No, really it was tell. definitely a rant. It was a good rant. <laughs> no, it was definitely a rant. Yeah, it was definitely a rant. The, you know, the, 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 the only thing I'll add to that, because that was just perfect, the only thing I'll add to that is that you can't have it both ways. In other words, you can't say, well, I sent you as a bunch of geniuses because they're getting out of the content marketing game because content marketing's dead and stupid and, and gone away. 
And then in the same side say, yeah, but they're idiots because they bought King Content and they wanted to get into the content marketing game. I mean, it's one or the other, right? They're either they're either idiots or they're geniuses. And you know, if they're if it, it, let's just you know, it, it's one of those things where it, just to your point, you can you know, and I said this in the intro, right? You can make zero mistakes and still lose. And they 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 basically decided at some point that they weren't executing on something that they wanted to do. They wanted to get this done and couldn't get it done. And so they went, yeah, we're not, we're, maybe it's not us. We're not going to do, we, we are not going to do that anymore. And by the way, they haven't said that, that by the way, they haven't said, they, they, I, I can't find anything that sort of overtly says that they're getting completely out of the business. They're not, you know, you know that's not, to, yeah, we, we, right. that, that's what the thing is, is that you and I know firsthand that they made some very strategic decisions to close a few offices and they're right. putting their investment in offices that are working. There's nothing wrong with that. That's like what GE used to do in the day when they were right. uh, the cat's meow, if you will. And they were saying, hey, we're just going to focus on being number one or number two in every market. <laughs> you just said cat's meow. <laughs> cat's meow. Yes. All right. This is going down as the best show ever. Cat's meow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we probably should get yeah. on. I went over on my time. I'm Absolutely. So it's quite all right. It's, it's quite all right. Um, we'll do a wonderful uh, example of this old marketing, um, which I have a really cool one, actually. Um, another hat tip here um, to regular contributor now. I, I want to call her a regular contributor because it seems like every week she's got great stories and great ideas. Um, Bethany Johnson, uh, of course, she with the Twitter handle that shall not be named. Liberty uh, Gibbet. The, the, yeah. Yes, right. It's the That's Voldemort. It. Uh, it's not because there actually was a Liberty that you see <laughs> on know. Twitter that there's actually, yes. There all right. So, I'm so sorry. So, all right. But there we go. I so, every time. So. Um, this goes way back. This is maybe one of our oldest, uh, actually, examples that we've ever done. Um, this goes all the way back to the 1600s. And usually when we go back to the 1600s, we're talking about Europe. And certainly, in, uh, and sure enough, we are talking about Europe here. This is 1686. Uh, and a coffee shop called Lloyd's Coffee Shop. Um, and Lloyd, Edward Lloyd, uh, starts his coffee shop and starts brainstorming all these different ways to cater to his patrons, who, of course, are, you know, maritime sailors and merchants and shipping coordinators, basically everybody who's coming in and out of the port. And so what he does is he wants to bring them into his coffee shop. So what he does is he creates a media brand and he creates a newspaper. And it's this publication that starts reporting all of the shipping schedules and all of the trade news. And he starts doing a little bit of gossip as well. So there's gossip. It's basically an industry rag for what they were doing in the, you know, in all of the shipping, you know, sort of the inside baseball sort of of all the shipping stuff. And it basically brings people into his coffee shop because that's the central place where you pick up this, this uh, new little media brand. And this is, Wonderful because he started to actually get so, it started to get so popular, he'd actually put a pulpit in front of the storefront to announce this, to do it live, to basically to do the news live, to announce the shipping news and lure customers in. So he would actually do live performances of his newspaper in front of his store to turn it more into a, a media brand, et cetera, et cetera. And so then, after it started to become more and more and more successful, actually, the coffee shop died away. Because after he died and his son took over and all of that, the coffee shop dies away and it becomes Lloyd's List. And Lloyd's List is still in existence today. 
It's still in a digital format. They went through a huge. It was a. It was. It's known, although there's some debate about this. Where it's the world's oldest newspaper, but it's to to, the, uh, to today. It actually still exists. It, it ran, you know, all the way up until the digital age, um, and it was one of the, the the more popular sort of papers around the the shipping industry and those kinds of things. And then it merged. Lloyd's List merged it, the print version anyway. Merged with Shipping and Mercantile Gazette. Um, and then Lloyd's List has then spun off into other titles and now as exists as a digital, um, a digital publication only. So just a fantastic example of what started out as a small business coffee shop turned into a media brand and actually then lost its product and became a media brand and, and transformed. I don't know where Bethany's finding all these examples. I don't either, but it's, they're amazing. She like emails me and says, hey, do you need another example? And I'm like, yeah, bring it on because her examples are great. I think she's hanging out in Europe, just kind of trolling around, looking for old pieces of paper. Yeah, like something. This, something like that. Amazing. Something. Bethany, thank you so much. Yeah, That's fantastic. So, Well, very good. Yeah, uh, there we go. And, uh, and you're on your 17-day... I am. I'm on the road escapade. for 17 days. I'm, I'm here in lovely Lansing, Michigan, as we speak. Um, and I will be here for a couple of days, and then I move on to Providence, Rhode Island, and then I spend the weekend in Boston, and then meet up with you That's in right. Boston for our first master class, which is a week from today. Yep, and I have uh, I have a gig in uh, Fort Myers this week, talking to some uh, some contractors, so that'll be fun. And then right after that's done, quick weekend home, and then off to Boston as well for our next three first three master classes. So that'll Woo-hoo. be. It'll, it's going to be fun. That'll We're going to have. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be super fun. Off yeah. the hook, as they say. Off the hook. If you ain't first, you last. Uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> shake and bake. Yeah. Shake and bake. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for us. We're going to shake and bake on out of here for Joe Palizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode number two hundred and seven, please don't bother to leave us a review or subscribe because, quite frankly, we're ending in seven episodes, so we don't care if you subscribe or not. <laughs> but listen to the last seven because they're going to be really awesome. <laughs> you know, hashtag us up, won't you? Listen to what Joe said earlier in the show and hashtag us up with what you want to hear in these last few episodes before the end of the year. We would love to hear from you. We would love to take some requests from you and just talk about a bunch of shenanigans and nonsense and all that stuff. And of course, if you're like Bethany and you've got story ideas or this old marketing ideas, won't you send those on? Hashtag us up at this old marketing or send us an email at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will of course be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night. And of course in there all their replete technicolor glory at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. Until next week, everybody, and six or seven or a few more to go, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.